Welcome to Conservative Patriot Nation, new members and returning members. Tonight we have two fantastic guests. We have Mary Crowley. She's a citizen journalist in this movement. She has great interviews. She's exposing the trafficking that goes on in Hollywood. She's coming out with a film. She's in the process of making a movie as well. And if you go to Mary Time on Telegram, that is her channel on Telegram. And she's bringing a lot of great interviewers onto the Telegram for Q&A. So I highly suggest everybody to go check out her channel. And she has a lot of her interviews on there. And you can go to Mary Crowley on Rumble. A lot of great interviews. And we all know the 107, a great patriot in this movement that has been really painting pictures for us. And there's many things that he has said many, many, many months ago that we're starting to see now. And I know there's a lot of people that um, get to the point to where, oh, he's just talking, but you know, he's prepping us. Um, I really resonate with him. And before we get to the show, I'd like to recognize a couple of our sponsors, Mike Lindell and MyPillow. If you go to mypillow.com and you use promo code CPNN, you can get up to 66% off your purchase. And last but not least, I'd like to recognize the late, great Dr. Zelenko. He has left us some platinum bullets to fight any bioweapon they try to send our way. And if you go to zstacklife.com and use promo code CPN, you'll get 5% off your purchase. And last but not least, I'd like to say, Mary, thank you for joining us. And we're just waiting for Juan. Yeah, hi, everybody. It's good to be here. I love Mike. Um, you know, when I was up in um, Ashley Appleton, Wisconsin, over a year ago, Scott Shera's daughter, Grace, um, Ashley had been murdered in one of the hospitals there as a 19-year-old um, Down syndrome, special needs um you know, daughter, but she was 19, you know, she was highly functioning. She knew how to drive a car, play the violin, I mean, incredible young lady. And they pretty much murdered her in the hospital. And there was actually a court case, um, I was told today uh, that that um, Scott Shera had on. He's been on all the different channels. I've interviewed him several times and he had me actually come and speak on the stage um, and that was the last time I interviewed Dr. Zelenko um, from my hotel room uh, that particular morning of that, that event. So Dr. Zelenko, we love you. Rest in peace. So anyway, um, you know, Juan is coming on any minute. He was actually just called me and said he was with a governor and he had to break away to come on this call today, which, um, you know, we're so honoring to have Juan come on with us. So he'll be joining us any minute. And so I wanted to kind of set the stage so that we can kind of get it queued up for him that when he comes in uh, and then we can do a little brief interview with him and then we're gonna open up for Q&A with, with uh, everybody on the call tonight. Um, also, I'm doing an event in um, South Dakota, actually June 2nd and 3rd, which I will talk to Juan, you know, with Juan about with you guys. Um, it's gonna be mark your calendars you have it up on the on the screen right um yeah it's, it's on the wall it's on the wall it's called open the heavens let god arise and it's very important this particular area of the country you know mount rushmore that's where president trump came in 2020 
I think it was July 3rd, they had the 4th of July celebration there with Governor Christy Nome. So um, there's actually gonna be different people there. We've invited Governor Nome to come to the event. Um, she hasn't said yes, but um, Juan will be one of the speakers. I have SG Anon. Um, we have Dr. Stella Emanuel. We've got different prophetic voices that have been Elijah's dreams, like Donna Rigney and Dr. Emanuel Johnson, who are both friends of mine. We've got Marcus Rogers, who's a, a well-known um, pastor out of uh, Chicago. He is the Firehouse Church. Um, he's going to be coming Wayland. We've got a lot of great people that are going to be there. And uh, Friday evening, we're going to have this youth night, Marcus Rogers and Andrew Whalen. Um, we're going to really tell people that Friday night will be free um, because I feel that we're supposed to really um, reach out to the youth that night. But, you know, people that want a weekend pass, which is really both days, Friday night and all day Saturday and sun Saturday night, it's uh, $77 uh, for uh, the, the price, the ticket price, which is expensive. It's at the uh, Monument Fine Arts Theater. It's a 1,700-seat facility. It's all been renovated uh, in the monument. It's beautiful, and it all like red seats. Everything is, is uh, really, really a great venue. And so it's going to be a, a great time. And the VIP people, uh, we're going to have a, a special meet and greet uh, with some of the of the special speakers. So anyway, all of you are important. I mean, I would just do it for free if I could, but right now, um, you know, we're just trying to, to do it as, you know, whatever I hear God say, seven is the number of completions. So double seven is, uh, we're going to see some some great things happening. So um, Juan, I, I don't know, I, I texted him. I'll text him and say, when you're on the call, text me. Because uh, Juan's never done. Uh, He's never Telegram. done what Telegram. I know I'm texting him. Sorry. Telegram text me. Um, so Mary, could you go into your uh, trafficking film a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, I went in 2017, you know, President Trump, you know, of course, just came into office January 20th. And one of the first things that President Trump did was put an executive order about, you know, sex trafficking in America. And, uh, you know, President Trump knows what's going on when it comes to this. And of course, that's when he, he actually had that border wall. You know, remember the fight that he had about that and everything. So uh, 2017, I went to Thailand uh, with a group of people and my videographer. And when I came back, I really felt God tell me, you know, I don't want you to do this about Thailand. I want you to do it about America. I had just interviewed Liz Crokin. Um, and, you know, I just started doing um, my film, traveling and interviews and things like that. And of course, then of course, COVID happened and uh, you know everything shut down. And then uh, we were gonna premiere it for the first time in, in Dallas at the Hilton Anatole. And then my director, editor that I've worked with for like 20 years, Fred Paskowitz, died of cancer suddenly. And so, I mean, I still did the event, but we could only show the, the kind of the trailer. So. Basically, what I did is we, we just finished it like last November, and I've been going into different parts of the country, screening it. We did it in uh, Georgia at the Governor's Gun Club. God told me Georgia was the head of the snake. And, uh, you know, the Guidestones came down on uh, July 6th. I was actually in Georgia with Maria Zach and uh, at the, um, you know, she had Nations in Action. And we were right, right down the way from the, the Guidestones and God 
Sunday morning, God had us pray. And literally, we decreed and declared those guide stones were coming down. I believe God brought those those lightning with a lightning bolt. I believe the finger of God took down those guide stones. But all I'm saying, they're down. And so second one we did was in Chicago at a beautiful event center in Chicago. Um, the Lord said Georgia was the head of the snake, but Chicago was the belly of the beast. And that was on December 5th. Uh, we had a, a great crowd. And then I've done two screenings in, in California, but we're going to be doing an internet screening. Um, we're getting that set up now. It probably will be the end of April. So um, I'll be letting you guys know about it, but it's called Freedom Cry, Sex Trafficking in America. And uh, initially it was going to be a six-part document. And uh, let me see if that's, uh, let me see. No, that's not one. Um, uh, but it was going to be a six-part docu-series on the grooming, which how they groom people. And, you know, they groom, you know, these kids a lot of ways. Let me see. He says, I'm trying to get in now, trying to download app. Very slow. Oh, okay. I guess I sent him the link. The link just won't get him in. Um, you got to download the app, join Telegram, and then he'll be able to click the link and it'll bring him right to the chat. Okay. Yeah, I sent him the link earlier today. Um, yeah. It's real quick and, and fast. And you just put your number in there and then you're on Telegram and then he'll just have to click the link and it'll bring him right here. Um, okay, so he's just downloading the app. But, um, so the thing is how they're grooming our kids. I mean, uh, basically we're seeing the grooming of our kids now. The second film I'm making is called The Grooming of the Innocent, Save the Children. And it's a full out war with this LGBT agenda. It's, it's actually their religion, so to speak. I mean, I just heard a lady who is a feminist, but she said, God made male and female. I mean, and, and it's just insane what they're trying to do with these drag queen story hours and everything. So. People just have to speak up. You know, we can't be worried about offending people. We love the LGBT community, but we're not going to sit there and adhere to some of their protocols. And, uh, you know, we just have to stay the course. So the film is, uh, you know, it's very, um, at the end of the film, it's very redemptive. Every single girl that was trafficked, and we even have a, a former trafficker, his name's Mark Miles, who's now a pastor. And it's all very redemptive. So we, we really want to give hope to people that, you know, so many times the stories of the sex trafficking, people didn't want to know. When I first went to Thailand and I started, when I came back and started telling people what I was doing, I was pretty amazed that people just kind of didn't want to know. And it was like, I'm going, listen, I don't necessarily want to focus on this either. But, you know, what Jesus said, what you do to the least of these, you do so it's really important that, you know, these little kids now, like the borders are open, the statistics that I've heard from people I've interviewed, and I've been down at the border with um, General Flynn and Colonel Allen West with Christy Hutcherson, who had an event called Women Fighting for America. And uh, they really sabotaged that event in McAllen, Texas. And uh, I'm just telling you, um, Tom Homan was there. He was the former director of ICE under President Trump. He was one of the speakers. And he said, listen, we've lost control of the border. There's probably 18 million people that have crossed the border since Biden has come into, into, uh, into the resident in the White House. 
So they're, they're going through these NGOs that are non-governmental organizations, and they're literally flying these kids into every state. I've interviewed Basil Baz. He was former CIA. He actually plays himself on the blacklist, the, the, the show with uh, James Spader. I love that show. He actually used to play himself. He actually rescues kids. And Lieutenant, um, you know, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Dr. Peter Chambers was working on the border as a, as a surgeon under Operation Lone Star. And they will tell you, they both said, we've both seen, you know, we've been undercover and we were told to stand down. This is under orders by the Biden administration. So I'm telling you, it's the largest human trafficking event under uh, on the watch of, of the, um, you know, our own Biden administration. So anyway, Juan is going to come on any minute. He's downloading the app. He's never been on Telegram, I guess. He doesn't use Telegram. <laughs> so this is a first, you guys. So it's like a virgin one to Telegram. <laughs> we're breaking That's... into history tonight. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're breaking in history. And so the thing is, each person, like May 2nd of 2020, I live in California, I live in LA, and I, I woke up and I heard God speak to me and he said, we won't shut up until you open up, open the heavens. And I'm working on a film called The Prodigal. If you haven't seen the movie, The Jesus Revolution, um, it's an important movie um, to see because it literally goes into the history of what happened in the late 60s when God called a conservative pastor named Chuck Smith, who was ready to quit at 17 years of pastoring. And then a, a radical hippie who had been molested when he was eight years old and actually living a bisexual lifestyle, which the hippies were very, you know, you know, sex, drugs, and rock, rock and roll. And uh, basically, you know, he actually has a, had a visitation from God when he dropped LSD, which he had done many times before. And he said, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. And the vision of the Pacific Ocean being filled with people in darkness. So my film is called The Prodigal. It will be the sequel to The Jesus Revolution. It will be Lonnie's story. So Lonnie told his former wife who I've interviewed that what the hippie was in the Jesus movement, God is going to touch the LGBT community in this next move of God. And LGBT will be love God, be true. So they're going to be radicalized for the kingdom. And they'll come away from, we're not going to say it's okay to be gay. We're going to say God loves you if you're gay, but he didn't create you that way. So anyway, um, I don't know if Juan is on the call because he might have downloaded it. And uh, Juan, are you on the call? You need to unmute the blue, the blue button. You press it. And um, I don't want to disrupt his downloading of the app. Just a minute. Uh, so a minute, guys. Is it still downloading? Is it? Um, yeah, I sent it to him earlier today, but. Um, is it still so anyway so bottom line is like in the in the jesus movement um lonnie used to say and the church is, is expecting a certain mold of what a christian should look like what a christian should say and what a christian should be but god is blowing everybody's mind because he's saving the hippies and nobody thought a hippie could be saved so it looks like he's um on he's got this um Juan, do you see Juan, if you're in the room, um, all you need to do is if he, press. If he presses the uh, button where it shows like a hand to be raised, 
we will be able to see his hand being raised. Okay, otherwise, can you just unmute his uh, phone? Yes. Um, do you know the name that he's under? Yeah, just send QR code. Um, well, didn't I send that over to him? Um, is there a QR code? Yeah, I just sent you the link. If he now that it's downloaded, if he clicks that, it'll bring him right here on the chat. Okay. Okay, hold on. Okay, I had sent it to him earlier, but okay. Okay, so I can imagine he probably gets about a thousand messages a day where he probably he probably gets lost. Okay. Um just okay. There he is. He's in. Hey Juan. Hey Juan. So Juan, uh, we know that you're new to Telegram, and the middle button is gonna be blue. Once you press it, it'll turn green. Blue means your mic is muted, green means it's unmuted. All right, I guess I'm there. <laughs> hey Juan. Hey, kiddo, how you doing? We're doing good. You're, we're doing good. So is this the first time you've ever done a Telegram chat? Uh, it is. Uh, you know, you got to block so many things so they don't throw a thousand things into the general world and all that. So, uh, but uh, yeah, probably a good time to break the ice. So let's let's have at it. <laughs> well, Thank anyway, you for joining us, Juan. Yeah, so this for sure. Mike. Mike, this is Mike's channel. Mike is in Wisconsin, and uh, Mike, why don't you share a little? Oh, bit the about scene of the crime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is. Uh, you know, I, 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 um, my brother sent me this flyer where they're giving free rides to go vote for this election that's coming up with the Supreme Court, and it says only available in Milwaukee. I'm like, man, this is just crazy. They're they're at it already. Well, yeah. It well, uh, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead, Juan. Uh, it's it's you know it's the same shenanigans we've been dealing with all the way along, and and uh, we all know how they play the game, and uh, um, so we just have to get smarter about uh, playing back. <laughs> I totally agree. You know, and it, and I seen some really good news the other day, and I just really started to stumble on him as Phil McConnell, and it looks like his probation was lifted early. Yes, yes. Uh, again, you know, there's there's uh, they make a move, we make a move. Um, players get taken off the board and then come back in. Uh, you know, older, wiser, smarter. Uh, you know, this game is far from over. And of course, uh, they're trying to take our player off the board, uh, starting at the top with Trump. Uh, uh, I'm sure you guys have, have heard the news that uh, the Southern District of New York uh, grand jury voted to indict Trump uh, just an hour or so ago, hour and a half ago. So, you know, game on. Yeah, you know what I was thinking, Juan, and, and I, please correct me if I'm wrong, <clears throat> but when you go ahead and you're, you indict an ex-president, that sets the marker for the other ex-presidents that really have blood and dirt on their hands. Please correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's part of the uh, uh, idea here that if if um, 
you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So, yes, they've set a precedence now. And if we want to go back and address other presidents with their issues, uh, game on. And uh, uh, we've had some doozies here in the last couple decades. So uh, those that are still around, uh, you know, they're fair game too. Uh, it, it is the way that this is done. Uh, on what basis is it going to be, you know, uh, some of the other charges may be more serious than this one and uh, have greater gravity. You've broken the ice. This is an icebreaker. Uh, you know, the imagery that I've uh, put out there uh, uh, is this deep state bull and Trump as the Megador. And uh, so the art and jackets and, and by the way, flags uh, just came online yesterday. Um, uh, Trump uh, taking on the deep state in this bullfight. Uh, forget, <laughs> forget the bullshit, <laughs> get the bull. <laughs> you know, we're dealing with all this stuff. Uh, we need to take out this deep state monster and it has its tentacles into all different areas of our government, whether you're talking the corruption at uh, three-letter agencies or down through the judicial system uh, into the prosecutorial system. Um, you know, there's got to be a, a cleanup at all levels. You know, it's not just one aisle. We need cleanup through the whole store. <laughs> so this is, this is the game. I mean, people can't get too upset about it. I, I chuckle a little bit because... The difference here is we've been anticipating this for quite a long time. I've been talking about this coming for a very long time. Um, but I don't really think that the machine on the other side has fully calculated in the ramifications uh, of, of what's going on here. Um, they may think they have, but I, I think uh, that they are premature in thinking that this, this is going to cause a cascade of the cases that are going to ultimately take out Trump. Uh, there's other, uh, what they've wanted was a deal or an icebreaker. They've got it. They're hoping that now some of these other investigations will also mature and that, uh, we'll see that, uh, you know, other charges against Trump come and ultimately one or more of them uh, take him off the playing field for the 2024 election and even throw him in prison. And with all of their uh, wet dreams, uh, put Trump in prison for life. Uh, the reality is um, we're going to see others that have done uh, far worse than anything that Trump has ever been, you know, charged with or going to get convicted of or whatever uh, in these other players. And uh, as you said, this is a this is an icebreaker for the rest of this. I totally agree. And Mary, were you trying to say something? Sorry. No, no, this is your show. I just wanted to. I, I already I already told them one at the beginning uh, of the call about the event in South Dakota. Uh, open the heavens and uh, Juan's going to be there. Um, why do you think uh, South Dakota, you know, I know President Trump went there in 2020, but, you know, on the cover of, uh, you know, George Magazine in 1999, uh, you know, where it said Back to the Future, 
and it has South Dakota on there. And uh, so to me, there's clues. What do you think so special about South Dakota, in particular, Mount Rushmore? Well, I think there's room for another uh, president to be put on the uh, uh, stream <laughs> of presidents that have uh, been fundamental to the salvation, uh, you know, uh, of America, uh, uh, saving the republic, creating the republic. Um, you know, if the deep state bull is loose in the China factory and tearing up everything and the Megador comes in and fields the charges and uh, ultimately takes out the deep state bull, um, he may very well preside over um, this uh, preservation of the American ideal, the American way of life. Uh, you know, Trump, um, a lot of people... I think underestimate, under understand where Trump at is at in this fight, the role that he's played. Um, he's a rallying point for, you know, the business of America, as Reagan said, his business for uh, saving the Republic and, and getting us back onto some kind of a, a, an intelligent, even keel. Um, uh, I have, some uh, names that you would know instantly here visiting with me where I'm at. Uh, just got through a, a, a meeting. I told you about that just a moment ago off, off the air. And, uh, you know, we're looking at the strategy moving forward for the nation. What things are about to happen to the country? Uh, where does Trump come into what's about to happen in the country? He is a lightning rod. For all of those players who believe that if they can take out Trump, they can have their way with America and where we go into the future. If they can take out Trump, they can take out the Make America Great Again movement. They can take out um, the conservative movement because America will finally be done with them. And, and we've had our fill of it and America's moving on. Uh, you hear it every day. It was part of this, this theme around the crowd that was uh, supporting and still is, uh, but it's a losing effort, uh, DeSantis. And uh, we just have to move on and 2020 is over and, and uh, we have to live in the real world now. And nobody's backing that anymore. Nobody cares about Trump anymore. He's history. The more they say it, the more everybody realizes, especially this deep state crowd, it's still on. And only one party's coming out of this bullfight. Trump said it the other day in Waco. Uh, this is a fight to the death. It's the deep state or the mega, make America great again crowd. Uh, you people out there in that audience that came to Waco. Uh, it's us or them. And uh, they still know that if Trump is viable, they're in trouble. If Trump gets in, whether it's 2024 or before, all of those players that were involved in all the frauds, all the um, uh, vice to hold themselves in office, to uh, promote their business uh, liaisons to get the money that was laundered uh, out of Ukraine 
back into the American political machine and business machine. If Trump survives this, we're going to go get them all. Trump's going to go get them all. It won't be the same as when Trump came into office in 2017. It's a different world. Uh, if, if Trump stays viable with this Republican Congress and with control of the committees, even McCarthy and the people behind McCarthy that have some history of being in the rhino crowd, uh, even they can't control where this is going because that mega component that controls the heads of these committees, the chairmanship of these committees, these investigations in the House, that mega group is inching forward in this battle uh, one foot after the other, getting new information. The whistleblowers have a place to present what they've got. Uh, the requests are going out to the various uh, agencies. Give us these records here and there. And oh, by the way, it actually isn't a request. It's a subpoena. Give it to us now. And we're learning all sorts of bits and pieces. That is going to continue all this year, all of next year, as long as these people are in power. And as much as they did, for example, with the J6 committee in the last Congress, this J6 committee is getting to fundamental aspects they're not politicizing it in the same way they're just the facts ma'am give me the documentation let me know who that guy is we're going to get to the truth here of the matter and the depolitical politicalization of the process in washington it, it may sound like it's republicans versus democrats but that's not fully true it's um more in the spirit of justice and uh that's what they can't handle. Uh, the mega crowd with Trump still coming back to power and that perception and the American people understanding day by day more of how the management, the manipulation of the republic has occurred um, is going to coalesce behind Trump, uh, going to... Uh, go against whatever legal action against Trump. They see this as political uh, against Trump, and they're going to respond with an attitude towards it's an injustice. We want justice, and that will play out through what the investigations are with the House and with uh, the other investigations that are ongoing right now. Trump said it uh, the other day in Waco also. He says, you know, the real target isn't me. The Justice Department isn't going after me. The real investigations aren't after me. This is just a sideshow. The real investigations are Hillary and Adam Schiff. What? That's what Trump said. And that's what's really going on. They can play their games at Southern District in New York. The real show, you haven't seen it yet. They play this card. Watch what gets played from, from the House and from the Justice Department and from uh, uh, military. Well, what I, what I say one last time that I interviewed you a few weeks ago, remember we talked about Esther, the 17th book in the Bible. And for those of you who don't read the Bible, you need to start reading it. But Esther was called as a young girl whose parents died. It was, a you know, when the queen... They chose another one, which turned to be Esther. 
And there was a wicked man named Haman that literally eventually talked the king into putting out a decree to exterminate all the, the Jews. And so, you know, she didn't want to go, but she said, if I perish, I perish. She finally got to the point, we're at a do or die time. And eventually to flipped it over Haman's decrees that actually he was the one who got hanged on the gallows. And so I believe we're going to see that flipped. I believe we're at that time in history, but we need to pray and we have to believe. And it's at a point that it, it could flip either way. So one, um, I know we're going to do some Q&A tonight uh, here because uh, people, you know, this is the reason Telegram is so cool because you can actually have people ask you questions and it's more personable with the people that you can communicate with them. So Mike, this is your show. How do you want to do this tonight with the Q&A? Um, <clears throat> well, I'll just like to say real quick to all the members that are on here, uh, we don't tolerate trolls and we don't tolerate shills. And uh, any question that Juan can't answer, your mic will be muted. Um, please keep your question to one question. There's many people that love Juan, so we can get through. But I'd like to go over uh, a couple things with you, Juan, before we go into Q&A, if that's fine. Sure. Okay. Um, I I'm so thankful for you. And I, I texted Mary uh, a while ago and, and told her to thank you. Um, okay. I'm so thankful for my awakening and uh, it's crazy on how it happened. And I turned off the sports, I deliver. So I turned sports off the radio and I started listening to Rush Limbaugh. And I'm so thankful for that man. And, and I'm so thankful that I listened to the true story of Thanksgiving. Um, when, <laughs> He broke down the original settlers when they originally settled and they all had their fair share of land. The socialism didn't work. And William Bradford was like, wait a minute, we got to do something here. And that's when he told them, hey, you guys can start growing corn. You guys can keep what you want and go make a profit with the rest. And that's when capitalism became booming and trading. And so when I hear all this utopia of, oh, everybody's gonna get a million dollars and you're gonna get paid out for bonds. And I sit here and I think, coming from the state of Wisconsin, I'm sitting there like, okay, if we're all gonna have a million dollars and all this money, who the hell is gonna plow the snow? Damn, who the hell is gonna pick up my garbage? So where it, it, it doesn't, it never resonated, it doesn't make sense. So with you being on here, I really would love for you to touch on that because there's so many people that are wrapped in that mindset and it, in history, it didn't work and it's not going to work. So I would love for you to touch on that. God has put it on my heart that it's important that that message gets out there. Well, a couple things. First off, uh, one of the other radio hosts, uh, who was a friend, by the way, with uh, Rush, uh, Rush was a friend uh, with me also, uh, didn't get talked much in the last years, but uh, back in the 90s and like that, uh, communicated fairly regularly uh, for other reasons in the background. And uh, he'd have questions, we'd talk, and uh, just a wonderful guy. Um, and off the air, by the way, every bit as cool and fun as he sounded like on the air. Um, but uh, Michael Medved, uh, 
Michael Medved, I think his uh, company is Treehouse Productions, and I'm sure you can still get it. Uh, Michael did uh, a fairly exhaustive presentation on Thanksgiving, uh, on the pilgrims arriving and settling and everything else. And uh, I don't know if anybody has actually done as exhaustive and concise of an audio presentation as what Michael did. It's three hours and it's, it's you know, well, probably, you know, remove the commercial, just probably two half or something, but a very good presentation that he would put out on Thanksgiving for a number of years. Uh, one of the early details in there is when the pilgrims came over, they were out of season. They originally were going to leave Europe um, early enough in the year to be able to get here and get a crop going and do some planting and get some structures up. They got a late departure. And when they uh, landed uh, there was, uh, they were coming into winter. There wasn't food. Uh, uh, they met one guy that could speak English and that was Squanto. And he happened to already be there. He's an Indian that had gone into slavery and, uh, returned and came back and his tribe was, uh, not there anymore, all dead. And, uh, these guys are literally starving there on the boats. There's no fish in the harbor. They can't seem to feed themselves. And so one of the things that happened was that uh, Squanto had found a container of corn seed that was there to be planted from this Indian village that was no longer there. There There's no no people there. And so uh, they took the corn and uh, with their meager amount of food they had from other supplies or anything else, they gave everybody there in those early pilgrims uh, a dole of five kernels of corn a day. And that was for young, old, everybody in between uh, people on the ship. There was no preference. Everybody got five kernels of corn because they'd figured out that's how much corn they had to maybe get to when you might see some green and stuff like that, and you might get something to feed. Otherwise, they'd plotted it out after they counted all the kernels. And so everybody got a measure of five kernels of corn a day. Even on the numbers, it's interesting. Five is the number of grace to God's people. Uh, You know, Esther is the 17th book of the Bible, 17th letter of the alphabet's Q. You know, there's, there's all sorts of little fun correlations in there. But this number of grace, by grace, God made... A provision, and you know what? Uh, after they landed, everybody made it. They all survived. It wasn't much, but it got it through until things started to come around, and the animals started returning, and they were able to uh, get some provision and and uh, survive through that summer. And um, it didn't work well within this. Everybody getting a plot of land, and they were all supposed to work commonly. It didn't work until enterprise and individual initiative and you get the fruits of your own labor came into being, you know, in the, in the new Testament, uh, they tried the same thing when the, uh, people, uh, after Pentecost started to come together in a church community. Um, and by the way, the first church, what was the first church in the Bible? The first church in the Bible was next door to the temple. It was at Justice House, J-U-S-T-U-S, Justice House. And Justice was the one when they drew straws to see who would be the apostle to replace um, Judas, the traitor. 
uh, the thief, uh, the betrayer, when they drew straws between these honorable men to replace him as an apostle, one of the 12, um, justice was the one that didn't get the straw. But why didn't he? They had such high regard for him that they considered him apostle level quality. But why didn't God choose him? Because he was running the first church. He was the first pastor. They didn't want to go ship him off as a disciple going off and and going out by twos to the community out in the area because he had a more important role. He was right next door to the temple where all that temple guard and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and Caiaphas, the high priest, had plotted and connived to kill the Prince of Peace on a cross. And justice was at this wedge position to begin the first church right next door to the temple. Right there, people could come right up and pick a lane. Go to the left, and there's the temple. Go to the right, and there's Justice House. And that was the first church. But the people gathered together. Remember, there was 5,000 plus women and children. 5,000 men plus women and children at Pentecost who believed on Christ for salvation. They then came together as a community, and the scripture says... And they had all things in common. So they were sharing everything in a communistic sense. And you have to think about this from a scriptural standpoint. Just because the scripture tells you what happened with precision and accuracy doesn't mean that that's what God necessarily wants you to do. It's just giving you the information, the history. This is what happened. Then you have to do some comparative analysis. And I'll use this as an example. Is this actually what God wants or did this is just what people did? When the nation of Israel, uh, when they brought down Jericho, they conquered the promised land that God had promised Abraham and his seed. They were the seed. Uh, they'd come out of Egypt, uh, you know, million plus strong and conquered the land, took over the giants, you know, knocked them off and uh, were, were building out their country. Uh, what God had for them was that they were to be led by a representative from each tribe who was a judge, 12 judges, and that they would uh, preside over the nation and uh, considered all matter of law. And by the way, law is a process. So then uh, when they're out, for example, in the desert, wandering around, if the 12 leaders of the tribes had something that they couldn't agree on, then they go to Moses. And Moses would hear all the arguments and then make a decision. And uh, uh, in the land, God intended for them to be judged by judges, it's a process. So they'd have some minor thing, and then they'd have a family dispute, a clan, and then they'd, you know, argue it up to a certain level, just like our court system now. And they would, by process, arrive at an agreed upon uh, determination of the law. 
and that was the law of the land type of thing. And they would hear something and after determine it again or whatever. But uh, the original model for Israel wasn't ever to have a king. The king was God. The king was the Messiah, Jesus. Uh, uh, and these were just the judges, and they were to judge according to the law of Moses, uh, the Ten Commandments, um, uh, Leviticus, uh, and Deuteronomy, and 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 how this was supposed to play out in the country. And but the people of Israel revolted against that. There were some rabble rousers in the crowd, and they came to the opinion that they wanted to have a king, technically a Cain, like all the other kingdoms around them, a leader to rally around. And uh, the prophet of God warned them that a king was going to raise higher taxes, that they were going to have to promote this person, that this wasn't what God wanted. And they didn't care. They wanted a Cain to rally around to just tell him what to do. We don't want to have to figure it out. We don't want uh, this law and order by these judges. We don't like. It. We just want a king to just say this is what we're doing, and we all do it, and make it simple and clean. Uh, highly centralized government. Um, that wasn't God's plan, but it's recorded in Scripture that that's what God's people did and demanded. And because of their hardness of heart, God gave them their desire. Even after he warned them and had Samuel anoint a king over the people. So now I jump forward. You can get what you want because you just demand it. And God sometimes be careful, be careful what you wish for because you might very well get it. And with kings, if you had a good king, a benevolent king, maybe things went the right direction. If you had a bad king, they could take the whole country off in some horrible direction. So in the early church, when uh, they were trying to come up with a way of interacting and, and doing all the stuff between them, they had all things in common. They became communistic. And it wasn't quite working right. Uh, worked great at some times. It didn't work well at other times. And that's why Paul came in. And you have to think of it in terms, there was three primary ministries in the New Testament. There was uh, the ministry of Peter. Now, what was Peter doing when Christ called him to be a disciple? Peter was fishing. He was casting a net. So his uh, uh, vocation was as a fisherman. Christ called him and said, I will make you a fisher of men. So what was a net spiritually in Peter's hand? What did, who was the first one to lead that first uh, uh, church service on Pentecost Day? Peter came down and spoke to all the people that were gathered there present and gave a salvation message. And 5,000 plus women and children and so 
Peter was a fisher of men, just as Christ had, uh, you know, called him to be at the moment he was fishing with the net. The second primary ministry in the New Testament era was uh, 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 Paul. Paul comes in and what was a net in Peter's hand is uh, now Paul's going not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And uh, if you remember, Peter had this vision on the rooftop where a great sheet was let down out of heaven. And in the sheet was all different types of animals. And uh, the Spirit of God said, take and eat. And he says, but there's unclean animals in here. I'm not going to eat. And it was a type of, you know, this net that he had, but bringing in the Gentiles. And Peter's a, a pure Jew. He's never eaten anything that wasn't, uh, you know, clean in the way that they look at things. And uh, so there's this spiritual message to him. Well, ultimately, what was uh, this sheet gathering up, it was gathering up like a net. What is a sheet? If you look at it, it's threads and fibers cross threaded like a net, but just very, very fine. It's a very fine net at some level. It's just a very tight weave. And so the net in Peter's hand had become uh, a sheet. Now, Paul, what was his vocation? Uh, in this second great thrust of the New Testament. Um, you have a church that's operating like a big commune. They have all things in common. It's a little bit dysfunctional, and they've got all sorts of mischief going on. Call, Paul becomes an apostle to the church, the churches. And when he was called, he was a tent builder, a tent maker. And so his vocation when he was called was building tents for meetings, for commerce, for caravans, for uh, whatever you might do. That was his thing, a tent builder. And he said, I don't want any money from anybody. I'll take care of myself. Uh, nobody has to give me a donation. I can feed myself. He didn't want any communism around him. He provided for himself and he came asking for nothing. And he did it with his trade as a tent builder. Apparently, he was a very good builder. So he'd work by day and preach and minister on the off days and at night. And uh, that's how he supported himself. He didn't need anybody else's support. He didn't need any communism. And his vocation as a tent builder, what did Paul get credited with? He helped to organize the church, the church body into a functional group. He gave order to let some of you be deacons and others of you minister at the table, you know, certain of you to take care of the widows and orphans. Uh, each had a responsibility uh, from pastoring. And when you show up at a church service, a gathering, uh, don't everybody come with a message from God. One of you has a song and another one has a, uh, you know, a ministry of healing and another one has a message, you know, and, and let there be organization in the way uh, things are done and timed and all that. So it's not this free-for-all. Paul brought some level of organization to the church. And then 
uh, that became a, a functional church. And he, and he writes his letter to the churches where he was organizing them about how to keep order and what was admissible and what was acceptable and what was wrong practice and what was wrong doctrine. And he's giving um, uh, corners to the building and tent poles and, and strength and uh, to survive the storm protection uh, to this spiritual church uh, group that's coming in. But what's the third ministry in the New Testament? Uh, and I think it, it's actually an anti-communism message, by the way, because in, in speaking to all these things, as Paul did, um, it also went to the way that the church members supported themselves and did business and, and like that, as you read that through. Uh, just by the way, and it leaves the subject a little bit, but it's relevant to this moment in history. What was the third ministry? The third ministry was the ministry of John. and John the disciple who Christ loved in the sense that he, he most perfectly understood what Christ's ministry was all about, uh, which goes even to the way that the, the gospel of John is presented. Um, who was the last uh, uh, apostle that survived the longest uh, was John. And he had the Isle of Patmos, vision that we now see as revelation now, there's questions whether it was him but i think it's pretty well determined for my satisfaction that this was john the apostle but um uh john uh had this interesting ministry if you look at the uh writings of john he wasn't really noted he was present when peter did the pentecost uh message he was present during the early communistic aspects of the church trying to organize. He was there in the shadow of Paul doing other stuff and ministering and Peter. But you don't hear that much about John during this time period where the formative part of the church was at, uh, the churches. But John comes in in Revelation and with a message uh, from Christ to each of the churches, you know, he gives a message to this church and a message to that church and a message to this other church, like the candles, uh, candelabra in the, in the, uh, uh revelation and, uh, look at what his message is. The net that God, uh, that Peter was using when, when, when he was called to be a disciple that became a sheet, a very tightly woven net in the time when john enters the forefront in this new testament period has got frays and holes all through it the net is starting to fail it's not catching the fish they're losing the fish the churches are in some form of disarray under this uh, roman rule and the church is beginning to be scattered with nero and all sorts of things. So there's this um, uh, damage that's happening. The tent that Paul had constructed this sheet into, the canvas, the fabric, had tears and holes in it, and they were losing sheep or fish or whatever way you want to constrain, uh, um, explain it, uh, convey it. And so John, when he was called by Christ, was was mending nets. James and John were mending nets 
when Christ called them to be disciples. The sheet in Paul's hand that he formed into a church had holes into it. And it wasn't working right anymore. And they weren't doing the cleanup to keep it right. Christ himself intervenes and, and gives a message to each church. And as John's there with his vision on the Isle of Patmos. And John comes in and gives corrective directives, gives net mending information. Mend the net here, mend the net there. Keep the church solid this way so that you shine is the uh, uh, midday sun through all of these tribulations and turmoil. Um, if we're in an end time period and John was the last of the messages uh, from those apostles, uh, uh, it's a net mending message. Even uh, my favorite chapter there in John is the 17th chapter of John. And it's very important. I've been sharing that repeatedly over the last couple of months with people there's an attempt to divide uh the mega movement there's an attempt to divide the churches uh against each other over diverse bizarre issues should women be allowed to be pastors should um uh, transvestites and homosexuals be allowed to minister and be at the heads of these church bodies? Is there, uh, you know, uh, is this, you know, okay, proper action within the church? Um, should uh, within the nation, or there's an attempt to divide America against itself. And, and by the way, um, Alistair Crowley, who, by the way, was an MI6 agent uh, working for British intelligence coming into World War II, um, uh, inroads through Tavistock, uh, which was this social mapping operation in that era. Uh, the Satanist Alistair Crowley. Um, Churchill was concerned coming into World War II about the Nazi Heil Hitler salute. It has an occult symbology to it. The Heil Hitler salute actually is a defiant um, act to keep all the magic of other practitioners from blocking them from what they want to do. It is uh, a... Uh, occult sign language uh, to keep other forces, other powers from defeating them. So Churchill asks the Satanist Aleister Crowley for a magical um, act that can break and uh, overcome the spiritual energy of the Nazi salute. And Crowley came back to Churchill and, you know, it's kind of a rock, paper, scissors game, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm very serious. Within their little occult whatever. So Churchill asked this, you know, Satanist for, you know, an occult sign that can defeat the Nazi uh, hand sign. And Crowley comes back and he has the two fingers divided. The peace sign, as we see it today. And the peace sign is about division 
And so Churchill begins giving the peace sign everywhere he speaks. And it's against the Nazi salute. And what's the peace sign? It's division. And we, uh, what he's literally saying with that sign is we profess division against you. We speak division against you. You come to us with this solid uh, shield stand. We speak division into your ranks. And so from an occult standpoint, it was a more powerful symbol. What's more powerful than the Nazi salute? Division. Well, it's still the same thing from the devil himself today. Division into our ranks as America. Uh, what's the greatest threat to America right now that we go into civil war? Why didn't Trump sign the Insurrection Act December 18th of 2020 when Sidney Powell, both the Flynn brothers, Mike and Joe, Pat Byrne, my friend, uh, uh, Rudy Giuliani, and Cipollone, the president's personal attorney, uh, when they were all there lobbying President Trump to sign the Insurrection Act. And he finally agreed that Powell should come back the next morning and begin the work of drawing up a legal document implementing the Insurrection Act, just as Lincoln had done, which then led to civil war between the states. They wanted President Trump to sign the Insurrection Act because the heads of FBI, CIA, NSA, etc., did not provide their report on election interference, uh, uh, foreign election interference against America 45 days after the election in 2020, as they were required to based on the executive order Trump signed. They were defiant. They were insubordinate. They broke the law by not complying with an executive order. Uh, they wanted Trump to sign an insurrection act, uh, you know, literally imprisoning some people and forcing them to disclose stuff. Trump, after they left the White House just before midnight, December 18th of 2020, we now know, I, I've spoken about it publicly, you know, all along, but uh, we now know from the January 6th investigations from the last Congress from last fall that after they left, uh, military generals uh, and admiral showed up to meet with Trump and brief him. And when he reviewed the subject of signing the Insurrection Act, which Powell's going to show up in a few hours uh, the next morning and begin the legal process of writing up the actual document for Trump to sign, when he reviewed it with the generals, they advised him. And we know this from the January 6th investigation. There you go. Uh, they advised him not to sign it because by degrees, by late spring, it was their determination, gaming this out, using AI, everything, that America would have fallen into civil war Literally, commerce wouldn't happen between the states. Uh, we would have literal civil war uh, destroying the ability of America to do business internally. And uh, it would destroy the country. 
just as it did with Lincoln, it led to civil war. But for America, we're even more dependent on interstate commerce and cooperation. And it would break down to a point where we might go into a dark age in America that wouldn't just be a couple of years. It would be semi-permanent and allow our enemies to gain power out across the world. And we wouldn't be able to, uh, you know, you know, literally provide the assistance out to the world that we otherwise do. Uh, a civil war in America is this huge crisis in America. Now I come back to a communistic mentality, which is your original question. Um, the order that we need in order to function as a country, the business of America's business, requires that people have to have uh, the ability to work at their level to do commerce with each other, to do exchanges, that the fabric, the foundational um, material that America needs to have a ship-shape house uh, has to be, um, you know, square corners, uh, good angles, proper support all through internally. Uh, it isn't a hodgepodge uh it's not disparate and disorganized etc it's highly organized and it allows individuals to show individual initiative uh productive and they get a reward for it if one guy wants to work harder and have a bigger reward have a bigger house wants to have more children let him have at it don't penalize him uh i had a situation years ago where uh, there was a financial issue and the one guy that had five kids made a big deal with the other guy that had no kids and wasn't married, but was making way more money. Uh, the reality is the guy that was making more money had applied himself all the way back to a very early age, gotten certain skill sets, uh, and had resources and had reinvested those resources into having the proper equipment, having the proper um, uh, job history. Uh, the other person uh, was a party animal, got his girlfriend pregnant in high school, had five kids, uh, had help from dad to be around and actually had some uh, family ownership into the company. At the end of the day, he wanted to get the same as the guy who had worked hard to create a uh, a brand, a skill set, a marketable thing. And that guy didn't get married for another decade. But when he did get married, he had things that the other guy still didn't have. The other guy... Um, played the short game and the guy that was winning played the long game here in America. If you slow down the rewards and you work hard and you have more because of it, we don't want to hold you back. We want to promote you because you're thinking you're organized, you're coherent. You have a plan, uh, uh, for a history and a future. Um, that's the same as it should be in the church. We don't want to penalize a guy that we just have all things in common and then nobody has anything. That was what happened with the pilgrims. And they learned after that first year that 
everybody, it was a free for all. You all got your plot of land. You work it. If you have more, if you want to plant tomatoes, great. If you want to plant wheat, fine. Uh, and you can trade with your neighbor. And the second Thanksgiving is the one where they had a bountiful harvest, not the first. The first one was a disaster. The second one, the second Thanksgiving is the one where everybody had plenty because they were personally self-motivated. That's what we're going to go back to as a country. That's what the mega Make America Great Again operation is really all about. Individual initiative, individual reward, less government takeaway, less federal government management, um, and, and uh, you know, more local control with less uh, uh, government coercion to make you go a certain way. Uh, instead of saying everybody has to plant tomatoes, everybody, you plant tomatoes here and you plant wheat there. Well, actually, this ground is pretty good for wheat, and that ground over there is better for tomatoes. So I'd rather do the opposite. Well, we told you we want this over here, so just do it. Well, if the government's telling you what to plant and sow and when, you're probably going to be wanting for bread pretty shortly. That's what Thomas Jefferson said. So uh, the American way of doing things is individual initiative and personal reward. And if you're gambling and taking chances, uh, if you make smart choices, you get a great reward. And if you have problems, uh, your neighbor helps shoulder up, maybe gives you a hand. But at the end of the day, um, it's mavericks. It's uh, individuals. Uh, that's the cowboy spirit. And uh, you want more room? Move west. It's wide open. Go plant your own farm. So I, I don't know. I, I probably went around quite a bit. I hope that kind of got you in a zone, gave you some answers there. No, I appreciate that. And I, I think that was great because, you know, <clears throat> the whole utopia mindset of this uh nasara Jasar stuff it's like i'm so thankful that rush told that story early on because when i start hearing stories i'm like this just doesn't resonate with me because there's no incentive and uh we gotta have an operating country we can't all just be fat cats and all be wealthy that that that'll be going right back to where pilgrims had socialism so well, let me let me that. let me just qualify that. That's not quite the way I would say it. Um, you you could be a really smart guy and do everything right and plant your field. And unfortunately, the rain is the rain. The drought is the drought. Uh, act of nature, whatever. And you might struggle. Uh, if you're a smart guy and you got a little resources, maybe you got extra seed. If you don't, you might be in trouble. But then America, being America, uh, and we know that, but for the grace of God, any, any given day it might be us. The nature of Americans is other farmers a few miles removed, realizing what's going on, they shoulder up. I'll give part of my seed that I had in reserve for next year, and you give some of yours, and the the broader community over a wide area might get enough extra seed for those farmers, which is usually just a handful that might've got wiped out by, um, you know, tornado, hailstorm, uh, a rain anomaly, and they give it to them to help them uh, get going again. And then over time, maybe you figure out there's certain areas 
where it just isn't productive to work because it's prone to flooding at a certain time of year. It's prone to being in tornado alley or something like that. And so if you're going to be there, it's on your own. You better have resources. We're not all backing you up over and over and over again, but we'll do it once. We won't do it 10 times. And, uh, uh, but the beauty of America is that uh, even a guy that's not the sharpest uh, knife in the box, if he's applying himself, if he's diligent, uh, it's kind of the Forrest Gump story, which, by the way, Rush just loved that movie. He thought, you know, he just thought it was the greatest thing out there. Um, but if you're that kind of a guy, even by accident in America, you could do amazingly well. So, uh, but you just have to be diligent, apply yourself. And, and most of the time, the beauty with America is that actually uh, anybody can do pretty well as a general rule. You have people that come from all over the world. They don't know the language. They don't even have a relative. I had a, I had a guy uh, gave me a cab ride the other day in Tennessee. And um, uh, he... Uh, came here from uh, Kenya, and uh, he had actually been in one of the other countries there in the area uh, and had escaped to Kenya uh, with his wife and, and three kids. And so uh, he got in a lottery thing, and they allowed him and one of his uh, young sons to come to the United States. A church sponsored him, and they helped him get his driver's license and had him riding along with a guy that, that ran a little cab service for a month to learn the area and everything else, got his aptitude up, learned the language, got, you know, he had, he had learned English pretty well in Kenya before he won this little lottery. And then he got here and they helped him get better. So he literally was here in the United States for two months and he began driving cab. So that was several years ago. Uh, back when Obama was still president. And I'm riding in the cab with him and talking with him. He speaks perfect English. He's a beautiful guy. We had a fun conversation. He's a Christian. And uh, I said, well, are you going to be a cab driver the rest of your life? Are you got anything else you want to do and what's going on? Oh, no, I'm too busy right now. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, you've got a fairly nice cab here. Oh, no, I have 12 cabs. You do, yes. I have 30 people that work for me. And he's living the American dream. He came here with absolutely nothing. He applied himself and he's living the American dream. His wife was getting ready to be to come over and go visit her. They hadn't been able to get the paperwork done. He'd been at it for a very long time. He's doing everything he knows how. He goes home and visits as often as he can. He sends his son back and forth. His son's now a cab driver. Uh, and he was at that time just about ready for his wife to be able to come over, uh, you know, to be able to come to America. It had been a, a grueling long process, but it is the American dream. It is the way things work here. It is amazing. Even in, in the hardest of times going through the pandemic and everything else, he he was successful and it wasn't easy. I I venture a pretty good guess you come back and find that same guy. And I told him the same thing. I says, 10 years from now, with everything that's gone on in the world, you got people right here. Because where we were at, some of the places that we went through, I, I had him be my driver for several days while I was there and something else. 
Um, and I just call him, tell him to pick me up every time that I needed to go somewhere instead of getting a car that particular uh, time. And uh, I enjoyed him so much. Uh, I said, I want to, I want to see you a decade from now and see where you're at. Uh, he hadn't bought a house yet. He put all of his money into the cabs and then training people that were coming in from other places to drive those cabs. Uh, you know, the scripture says that you tend your fields first, plant your crops, uh, you know, get everything right with your rows straight, etc. cetera. Uh, get your business working right and then build your house. And that was exactly where he's at. I'll bet you he has one of the nicest houses in the neighborhood uh, that his children, his wife are uh, as well taken care of as anybody out there. And it's because he was all about getting his business side operating properly, um, getting his affairs in order and even having reserve. Uh, I said, well, so you got drivers for all those cabs. Oh no, we maintain two cabs all the time for reserve. So you don't have drivers in all 10 or all 12 cabs. No. What do you, when are you going to do the maintenance? So we continue, we have a maintenance thing and, and we, uh, we take cabs out. If they get a couple of things, we'll put it in there. And then those are always being maintained. So I have a couple of mechanics that work for me and, and we just cycle them through on a rotating basis so that everything stays repaired. That's a planner, man. That's a genius. <laughs> you know, and he came here, he didn't even know English when he got to Kenya, uh, where they were killing everybody. He, was, he escaped a, a horrible situation and, uh, uh got. So that's America. I want to interject uh, one little thing, uh, Mike, before, um, you know, one that I was putting this in my heart, you know, when they left, as we coming up to the Passover, which is next week, April 5th, and then, you know, Resurrection Day, uh, Easter is, is like four days later. Uh, when they left Egypt, um, they left millionaire. They repaid for all the work that they did. Because at the time of the burning bush, God actually told Moses when they leave Egypt to ask for the silver and the gold. So I do think, Mike, there's going to be a wealth transfer of some sort. I do think that God is going to flip things. But just to be, I mean, they've, they've proven that people that win the lottery don't know how to, usually they're broke within a short period of time because they don't understand the, the laws of wealth management. So I think that's an important, I don't think we're just going to be you know, given a great deal of money and then we're all going to lay around like fat cats. But Anyway, so in saying all that, listen, one, it's um, 6.20 here in the, the West Coast. Uh, I don't know how much longer you can uh, stay on. Why don't we open up a few questions for people? You have such great insights. Mike, why don't you, um, why don't you get to whoever, whatever way you're going to do this? Why don't we take a question? Yeah, most definitely. And maybe I said that wrong. I do believe there's going to be... Uh a benefit for humanity in Americans. I think it's going to go back to Abraham Lincoln's favorite speech where he, and I might not say it word for word, but he said another man shouldn't reap the benefits of another man's sweat off their back. So I, I do believe there's going to be a benefit, but just not this uh, really wild stuff. And we can Well, the, the scripture that applies is uh christ said at the uh uh last supper when the woman uh, anointed him with oil for burial uh he said the poor you have always with you uh there is a psychology um even a psychosis 
you know, some people may have a, a physical uh, issue or deformity. Some people, it's mental. Look, um, uh, it can happen to people almost without fault of their own, you know, where some chemical imbalance, something bizarre has happened and, and they don't function right mentally and they're they're incapacitated. It's not even through fault of their own necessarily, uh, you know, demonic possession that might happen through some horrible situation, uh, traumatized from a family. There, there is circumstances where people find themselves in some kind, some kind of dire strait. And uh, so you've always got a component that's struggling to get back on their feet. And in fact, God made provision for them when the uh, farmers would uh, harvest their fields. They had to leave a certain portion at the corners and uh, for the poor to come in and glean things. They could take whatever they gleaned and were able to work and go out and do trade with it and get other things they needed. You know, do they need 10 pounds of grapes? No, but if they are able to glean some, they could go sell some of those grapes and maybe get a pair of shoes or uh, fish or whatever. And so there was always provision for the people that were, you know, in a, in a dire situation to somehow get by and uh, to care for those that through whatever circumstance were uh, struggling or in trouble. Um, but on the whole, uh, nations will be wealthy or poor the resources, the uh, raw resources, uh, uh, the ground, the things in the ground, um, uh, you know, in our era of oil or minerals or other things, then the machinery to convert that into something useful, uh, you know, the factories, the processing to turn it into something of value, uh, the leather from the animals to be tooled into belts and shoes and things like that, uh, these resources from the earth, the raw materials, with um, applying human ingenuity and skill sets. And then the final thing is the right to do so. See, there's a lot of places, you know, part of the problem that the um, pilgrims were dealing with was the king owned the soil, owned the ground, owned the forest, owned the animals, everything else. No one could be anything but a serf. And they came here to get under, up from under that, to have their own plot of ground, to have the return from that plot of ground based on their own energy and uh, piss and vinegar to invest and genius and innovation. You know, uh, there was cotton fields and slaves and somebody figured out that the world was changing and that wasn't, didn't make sense and it wasn't fair and wasn't right. And so uh, I actually met uh, one of the great grandchildren, the person that invented the cotton gin. And of all places, they weren't in the South. Uh, they were actually in the uh, Northwest when they invented it. And it streamlined the whole harvesting of cotton radically and made it um, not even cost effective to have people go out and do the harvesting. 
and uh, processing that material. If you think of those early settlers, their pilgrims, some figured out how to plow straighter lines and get the rocks out and do all the work and what worked in their area. And they worked it and worked it and worked it till it became more valuable. And they learned how to, you know, fertilize with the fish and, and all these other things to make the ground more productive and which crops people wanted more of. You, does everybody plant corn or does some plant tomatoes, uh, you know, and, and who had a particular green thumb for one particular thing or another. Uh, that innovative aspect, um, you know, is part of this equation also. A person might not be the sharpest, you know, tool in the box, but they get some insight that comes from God above that they suddenly just see idiot savant style. Actually, if I do this, this is what happens. And they become the smartest guy in the room, you know, through a prayer and an accident. Uh, if we understand that America allows you access to the raw resources, the education and the machinery to do things with it and make sense, and the legal opportunity, it doesn't belong to the king, it's, it's yours uh, and you can do it and we give you free you know, ability to do that. That's the genius of America to do business. Other places around the world don't allow that. If it's communistic, uh, everybody owns the ground. Uh, and you can't own your own tools of production. And we decide how you're going to get educated. Uh, this week we need uh, rocket scientists and I don't need doctors. And next week uh, they want farmers and they don't need rocket scientists or doctors. Um, a very controlled situation. Most of what's wrong with America right now can be traced to one thing, overly centralized federal government, making every decision, every, you know, you can't have a sidewalk put in, in, you know, the middle of the desert in Arizona without uh, federal approval because it might be a salmon spawning stream. There's no salmon. There is, you know, yeah. So you have federal supervision as though the whole country is run exactly the same way and it becomes unproductive, inefficient uh, bullshit. So you need to go back to states' rights, states' control with minimal federal um, uh, yanking of the leash and the chain and taxation going to bullshit locations like Ukraine to get us started another war, getting us into all sorts of foreign entanglements. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I hope that answered the question there. Oh, yeah, that was that was a lot of uh, good information, Juan, and really appreciate that. Uh, first of all, I want to appreciate you, Mary, for bringing Juan on and, and let, making this happen. Hopefully we can bring you back on again, Juan. And uh, if you have a little bit of time, we can get some questions. Yeah, let's get it. Let's get a few questions. I've got, uh, as you know, I've got people that flew in just to meet with me on on this stuff, and I flew down or came down to to do that here. And so I've got to get back to that fairly quickly. But I also don't want to. Uh, people came to get a few questions answered. I'd love to do it. Uh, and as you know, I I do really enjoy visiting with folks when I get the chance. So let's hit let's hit it and, and get a few questions in and then I've got to run. Awesome. JW will be taking questions and like I said, if you guys can keep your question to one question, 
don't further the <laughs> question so we can get through a couple members. Go ahead, JW, it's all yours. Hi, Mary Juan. Thanks so much for being here. And Jody will be up first for a question. And after Jody will be Kelly. All right. Hi, Juan. So nice to meet you finally. I follow you all the time. Oh, that's um, <laughs> Gideon's Army, back to yes. the original Prime and Jerry meetup with you. Mm-hmm. Um, one question. You've talked to us a lot. Well, let me let me let me just send, send, say this for the other people that are out there. So Jerry Foley, uh, I just happened to have some people that had ordered some books like that, and I on Christmas Day, uh, I think two years ago, I just had a list of people I happened to call them on Christmas Day and and talk with them for a few minutes. Uh, we had a beautiful conversation. Uh, we ended up talking a couple more times and, and, uh, I had him come out when we were showing sound of freedom out in Vegas and, uh, uh, also the call, the movie I made with Jennifer Mack. And, uh, so Jerry, I, I, uh, invited him to come out, flew him out as my guest and, uh, we became very good friends and he had asked me about things they could do. And I said, you know, we really need to be praying for the country and have, uh, you know, prayer warriors interceding on behalf of the country. Jerry took the uh, ball and ran with it. Uh, they called it Gideon's army. They began this, um, prayer group, uh, uh, praying every morning and doing a little video broadcast. He'd never done any of that stuff before. He was just, uh, uh, construction and, and restaurant terror and like that, just a little guy that he'd gone through some struggles, um, uh, that he's very vocal about, you know, in his personal life and, and like that. And then that became the basis for Gideon's army that has matured and grown. Um, I invited the Gideon's army people to come out to a Curry Blake conference in Dallas over a year ago, uh, where Curry Blake, uh, teaches, uh, you know, from the teachings of John B. Lake or Curry Blake from the teachings of John G. Lake about, uh, healing and ministry and like that. Very, uh, nuts and bolts, uh, no Elvis from the pulpit, uh, just a very straight, you know, teaching. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what we're supposed to do. And here's the results are, and they have just an amazing, um, ministry uh, out at, at Dominion uh, Bible Church in uh, north of Dallas. And so they came out and did that, and it led to really what's become a very influential group, Gideon's Army. Uh, I see them all over the place. They're amazing. And, uh, of you know, I just tip my hat to them. They're, they're becoming more and more a force that that more and more people recognize and are aware of out into the um, kind of the alternative media community. Uh, There's a little thing there with Prime for a bit. He recognized, understood the situation and kind of got back on board. Uh, we're, we're all people living under grace and we give room for folks to you know, kind of have to rethink things time to time. And they are uh, back and more powerful and a greater force to be reckoned with than ever. 
I just saw Prime and Jerry the other day when I spoke out in Dallas. And in fact, we gave him one of our uh, Trump Megador jackets that was big enough for him. <laughs> and that was just a very uh, a beautiful moment. So anyway, you mentioned Gideon's Army. I wanted to give that little bit of history. And now the question. I apologize, Jody. Go ahead. No, I love it. It's been a journey. I have the original orange shirt, the first one you guys made. So mm -hmm. thank you. It, it's I, I love you and I'm so grateful to you and the other leaders. You know, I love 48 and of course Prime helped me start a channel over here and we kind of just do praying and stuff too. Um, two quick ones. Um, you talked about it a little bit, but could you paint a little bit bit more of a picture going forward um those of us like my dream is is i want to when stuff happens i want to move move and go love people back to life and pray and all of that right and can you paint a little picture of what you feel like the church is going to look like moving forward as we rebuild and then second question is is um the 501c3 does that fall under cabal numbers? And that's it. Thank you. Love you so much for everything you do and all the other truthers. Well, on the numbers, uh, 501, you always drop the zero. What do you got? 51 uh, in Gematria, the language of numbers. Uh, what's 51? That's a secret coded message. Uh, that's us. That's the cabal because that's three times 17. And so there's a war for the numbers uh, and control of the numbers. Uh, the comparison is five is the number of grace. And by God's grace, there was five kernels of corn and that was adequate to bridge the pilgrims through that desperate winter months. As meager as that amount is, it was enough and they all survived it until the spring came and they were able to get uh, uh, meat and plants going, etc., and uh, survive through. Uh, but five is also the number of death to enemies and defense in the occult, the Aleister Crowleys of the world, etc. And so the Pentagon, what does it do? It delivers death to our enemies and provides defense. So five has a split meaning to, to the occult circles. They interpret death to enemies and defense. From a God perspective, it's grace to God's people. Um, there's a fight for the number 17, 17th book of the Bible, uh, 17th letter of the alphabet Q, uh, 17th letter or book of the Bible is Esther, the, the book about flips and reversals and change of fortune. Uh, so 17 is critical. In magic, the greatest power of a spell is what we call three times magnification. And so uh, three times the witch turns in the circle to magnify whatever spell they're doing. Uh, three times they knock on the door, uh, you know, all this Harry Potter stuff, etc. So three is this magical magnification of any other number uh, to you know, symbolically increase the potency of the spell or action or whatever. So uh, three times 17 it, within a cabal kind of a mentality, a black hat mentality would be this uh, 
maximum magical spell number. So what's the most magical military site in America? Area 51, three times 17. 17 to the cult that's running D.C. Uh, because D.C. is a more religious city, arguably, but I believe so, than the Vatican. It is a more uh, religious and important city, even than the city of London, the city within the city, uh, from a the way that these people view these things. And so uh, 17 is the number of the uh, monument at the center of the city. That monument is the phallic symbol uh, of Osiris. And Osiris is their man god. And uh, so the, the monument at the center of the city, this phallic symbol, is as important to the cult running America and by extension influencing the world greatly, uh, trying to run the world, as the cross is to Christians. That Washington Monument, that spire, is as important to their religion as the cross is to Christians. And three times that, because Osiris was killed on the 17th day of the month, and then symbolically resurrected on the 17th day of the month, the same day uh, when his mother went out and found, uh, the, the, the theme is uh, the brother set who was the good God uh, killed the evil brother Osiris and chopped his body into 14 pieces on the 17th day, the first day of the month. Isis, their mother, because they were twins, uh, and this is a reversal of the Cain and Abel story. In this one, the good brother kills the bad brother. Uh, they love their reversals and flips and mirrors and everything else. Uh, it, this is their religion. They believe that uh, when Osiris was chopped up, Isis went out. She's a goddess. She gathers all the pieces. Uh, she finds 13 of them. The 14th piece she can't find which is his penis. It had been eaten by a fish. Well, she could find the other fish. She'd find the fish, she'd think. But anyway, whatever. She's a goddess. Uh, she gathers them all together, cobbles them into his original form, and then forms a penis out of uh, stone and attaches it to his dead corpse, has sex with his dead corpse, and miraculously, because she's a goddess, has uh, uh, conceives a baby. So symbolically, Osiris is reborn, resurrected from his dead corpse uh, through a child. And the child is named Horus. Uh, and he's the sun god in the sky. And so Horus, literally, these people are sun worshipers, but it's the other sun. It's the sun, literally, that we see rising and setting over the earth. And they do all of their stuff. So the, the Washington Monument uh, when the sun shines on the Washington Monument, wherever the shadow is cast, it's the shadow of Osiris for management and control of the government of the people. Uh, that's why it's the center of this city, this federal city ruling over America. And uh, uh, when presidents say their oath of office, they say it looking to the Washington Monument because it's a religious ceremony to Osiris. 
uh, even when Obama did the second swearing in. He was inside the White House in the map room uh, with Justice, uh, uh, what's his name, that was uh, giving him the oath. And over his shoulder, he's looking out the window at the Washington Monument. It's a very uh, important thing. You can see that with the pictures with it. So Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts. And so uh, within all of that context, the numbers become important to all of them. And uh, 51, they like to imprint numbers on things that have meaning within the cult to give them extra power and strength, etc. So the church can't function in America. The various organizations can't function in America unless they get the blessing in this magical thing to be able to function. You exist as a charitable organization because we approve of you and you meet all of our criteria and uh, to do whatever. And so you get blessed and you get blessed and you get anointed. And they, they want that number power emblazoned on anything they authorize or do as much as they need a five-sided building to have ritual meaning for what they're doing, running our death to enemies and defense. Uh, and you see it through lots of stuff, the time that a bill gets enacted. Or, for example, we had a building that was to do surveillance over America. Uh, the power number is 19. It originates from 19.47, which has to do with the other physics, the hidden physics that you don't get taught unless you're invited in our university system, our education system. You have to be invited to get that other physics. And rounded up, 19.47, it has to do with the way the other science works that's at the core of how matter functions, etc. 19.5 is what you round it up to. Uh, uh, 19 is the number you round it down to if you're rounding down from 19.47. So there was a building project in D.C. that had to do with the surveillance system for America, blah, blah, blah. And the budget for that was $195 million. When we looked into it and figured out what was going on, why did it have to be 195 why was that precise number so important? Because it's 19.5. You just didn't see the decimal point. Anybody in this machine, within the cult, within the religion that is Washington, D.C., as soon as you saw that number, if you're read in, if you know the secret handshake, then you would recognize that as, oh, this is us. This is our project. Uh, everybody, get out of the way. Agree to it. Assist where you can. Uh, don't interfere. You would know that just because of the number that's emblazoned on it. And that's uh, very similar through various other projects. If you know that it's Area 51, oh, that's us. That's the cabal. That's three times the magic. Get out of the way. Let them do whatever they're doing. They're in charge. And so uh, uh, a 501c3, black hat, uh, control, uh, and that's the way I would see it. Okay, yeah. Kelly, you can ask your question now. Hey, Juan. Nice yes. to um, finally get to talk to you. I've been following you for um, some time now. And wow, like, you're one of the people that woke me up. And I just 
I love how you, you tell the background stories and the biblical part of it. It really, it really opens my mind up. Um, let me read what I had. I wrote it down. Um, are we at the point basically where we are awake? I know I hear this with, I've watched you on all kinds of shows, mainly Nino. I know he asked you that, but Nino, Nino, Nino. I know. (laughs) Yeah. He makes me laugh. You two together is the best. Like, I do oh like my being gosh. short and concise, and you guys get to a point. I love it. So keep it up. I are we? He going would never have... be able to do a long show like we've done so far. Oh, oh my I gosh! Know. By now, I he'd know. already have blood coming off his hands from all the ringing. Imagine just hand ringing and gripping and everything. Poor Dino. Shoot, he'd probably have already bit through his lip. You know? Yeah, so. and he's like. <laughs> Welcome to Apocalypse, and I, you know, I'm at work, and I have to like turn it way down. It's like, oh, oh my gosh. yeah, yeah, love but, needle, um, but go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, 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 I don't want to keep you, so I'll get to it. Um, basically, I'm trying to overview it, and don't ask, you don't have to answer it all, but basically, are we still going to have a 2024 election with everything going on? I'm personally just tired of hearing about it. You know, the 2020 isn't fixed. Trump isn't mentioning it. I noticed in the last um, rally, he's about 2020. So that, does that mean we still have to go through another election? How much darker do you think it'll get? Because it doesn't seem like people are waking up. It's either COVID, January 6th. We hear about Congress and my girlfriends and I, we talk about it. It's like we hear these cases and then I know it's building up. But for years, you know, my dad's a baby boomer. And for years, you know, I can hear him cussing now in the head, in my head, basically, like nothing <laughs> comes out of it. They're just talking heads. So if you want to just kind of concise where we're at now, like the 80 percent, if we're going to stay off of election, if we're going to go, you know, what, where were we at? Like, are we going to get darker with the banks and everything? And I appreciate it again. I mean, I know I gave you a mouthful, but I mean, this is great that you're on here. So thank you. Okay, let me let me try to cut through all of that pretty quickly. First off, uh, twenty twenty, it's not over yet. <laughs> uh, there is, uh, you can't compare what has been going on for the last many decades with what is happening at this exact instant. At the moment that we got control of the House, including the Speaker of the House position, because remember, it took 15 votes, three times five, the maximum power of the spell, by the way, a very important number. It took 15 votes, by God's good grace, to get the Speaker in there with the proper conditions, every time they did a vote and McCarthy didn't win, he had to make another concession about what the rules were going to be before he could uh, have the speakership. And so each time they came back and made him make a concession. And uh, the last concession was if he uh, does anything that is at odds with the members of the House and uh, they don't want him there in the leadership position again, any member of the House could call for a floor vote and it stops all business, even closing down the House. So if McCarthy 
does something a little wonky as far as that mega contingent of House members, uh, 20 of them, by the way. Uh, if if they're not happy with him, they can call floor vote, uh, whether or not he has the votes to remain a speaker, essentially a, a vote of confidence. And if he doesn't get to the 218, he's no longer speaker. So he's on a very short leash. If uh, If they're doing something and he wants to recess, but they call for a floor vote on his speakership, they can't recess. There's no getting out of the room to strategize. They have to do a vote and he can be out as speaker in a heartbeat. Uh, no other business can be done. They can't push it off. This isn't Nancy Pelosi's house. And so uh, they have him on an extremely short leash on the rules. Then they decided what the committees were going to look like and then who the committee chairman were going to be. And so unlike the Nancy Pelosi house, uh, and the rhino houses uh, that have existed prior to that. Uh, this isn't fun and games anymore. It's not bullshit. It's not uh, dancing around the real issues and obfuscation. Those committee chairs are the most important positions in this house of cards. And they decide what issues are going to get reviewed by the members of the House. So before, where we had whistleblowers coming in trying to release information to get investigations to get something done, they just wouldn't let them get past the committee chairs. And they say, well, that's not something we're looking at. You go to this one, this one, this one. Oh, we're not looking at that subject matter. Go find somebody else. We're not going to address that right now. So you, you couldn't whistleblow legally to a place in the machine to have your matter heard. Now the whistleblowers have a place to go that wants to hear it. And the Speaker of the House can't block it. The committee chairs want to hear it. And now they disseminate the information to the committee members, uh, which can't block it. Adam Schiff, he doesn't get to be on a committee. Swalwell doesn't get to be on a committee. Why? Because they were leakers. And they'd leak it back to their buddies and friends what's going on. So now they don't have inside to know what's going on to tweak at the various agencies, investigations and requests of of intelligence information. They're not on the committee. The leakers, the um, whistleblowers aren't in danger of being uh, outed to people that want them maligned or worse. And so uh, the whistleblowers have a place to go and the House is uh, uh, taking in those pieces of information. They're sending out the requests to the various agencies, all the data uh, where a request doesn't work, they're subpoenaing it. If you won't give it to us as a normal course of business, we'll subpoena it. And they can bring in the people and, and interview them just like they did with all the Twitter execs showing where this is going. And so now this is the year of the whistleblower. That's what I've, I've told people. And that is going to become a very dominant theme. It's gaining momentum. By the time we get to May, I will, personally, I'm anticipating, you're going to see people taking their life literally because of exposure. It may look like, you know, they just had a heart attack and died or whatever. I think it's going to be more dramatic than that potentially because of the exposure over what they've been involved in, what they've done.
And it's going to be more and more difficult to walk the streets. I have a friend that uh, crossed Nancy Pelosi's path the other day in a restaurant and uh, asked her about, you know, the payoffs to her son and to Hunter and a couple other business thing. And then steps out of the restaurant and says, yeah, you know, they won't be able to walk the streets. Well, I don't think that's actually going to look that unusual as this continues to progress. People are going to be very pissed because they, they know what was going on previously. And um, we're gaining ground. So don't compare the way that Washington in its dysfunctionality, in its obfuscation has been working with what's happening right now. The tide has turned. We're going in different direction. It's just now a matter of time. And we got two years for all these disclosures to come out and gain momentum. What was the real story on Hunter Biden? What's the real story on these agency heads who were insubordinate in a, uh, if you, if you um, try to steal a vote in a country, that's an act of war. If as director Radcliffe, director of national intelligence said publicly uh, December uh, 15th and 16th, uh, uh, you know, or 15th and uh, 16th and 17th, excuse me, uh, three days prior to the due date for his investigation of whether or not there was foreign interference in the election. Director Radcliffe said publicly that there was Chinese interference in the election. And the only question was, it enough to overturn the election, but he couldn't answer that question because the director of CIA, FBI, NSA, and other agency heads refused to submit their reports to him. So he couldn't submit his report to the president and to the other agencies and to Congress. On what basis does an appoint, appointee like the director of the FBI, on what basis does he have any legal lawful authority not to present the work product of the FBI to the president when he's under an executive order to do so. That's insubordination. That is a court-martial offense. In a time of war, it is treason and it can have the death penalty with it. And remember, this is very important. I'll be talking about this more here shortly. Uh, uh, when Tr President Trump closed up Cheyenne Mountain, he said, we may already have been attacked two days earlier on the 13th of March. Uh, we declared a national emergency uh, related to uh, the COVID. Uh, and we didn't know where it was going to go, deaths, everything else, and shut down of the country. So he visits Cheyenne Mountain and uh, says, we may already have been attacked. We may already be at war and not realize it yet. Therefore, out of an abundance of caution, I'm ordering the mountain sealed up. Why? Because if you have personnel and they might get sick and then not be functional or even die, we've lost our nuclear deterrence, our last safety to protect America from enemies foreign. So he says, before you know, we get this, this thing that's spreading around the world gets to our people, we're going to shut them up in here so that they are isolated uh, and can do what they got to do. And there's a lot more to the story there, but I'm just giving you the, the nutshell. Um, uh, in doing that, at the time that 
Director Radcliffe was supposed to provide a report on the national election, the federal election. When you had agency heads of the largest investigative machine ever created on planet Earth in history, not providing data about uh, foreign interference. It wasn't potential. It was actual because Director Radcliffe said that the information said China interfered in the election. At the point that those agency heads refused a direct order to provide the intelligence that their agencies had gathered to the president and the other agency heads and to Congress, when they defied that direct order, that was insubordinate, that's treason in a time of war. On what basis, under what authority, do they believe as an appointee, not an elected official, that they have the legal right to do that? And if they didn't have the legal right, at what point do we proceed with some kind of criminal charges against them? Is it a policing action? in the Justice Department to go after those agency heads for insubordination because it uh, damaged civil procedure, et cetera. But if we were attacked with the COVID, if we were in a state of war with the mountain sealed up and other things to protect America, then is that treason actually a military nation state level uh, crime against the people of America, against the elected leadership of America. Trump was the president of the United States, elected by the people. And when they didn't obey, they defied the electorate. When Congress, why did the head of the FBI feel comfortable to defy a presidential uh, commander-in-chief executive order? Because he knew that Congress wasn't going to do a thing about it because they liked that Biden allegedly won. So they were in collusion with Congress. Congress didn't want an investigation. Uh, Ted Cruz and 150 other members of Congress and the Senate, uh, House of Representatives and the Senate, uh, Ted Cruz is senator out of Texas. Uh, Ted Cruz called for an investigation, a 10-day investigation, which we had done previously at uh, in the 1800s when there was a question on an election. And they appointed five House members, five Senate members, and five Supreme Court members to investigate the election. Ted Cruz was calling for the same thing, a 10-day pause to look at the election to make sure that there wasn't a problem. If Congress, what would it have looked like if Congress had done what Ted Cruz was asking for? The House of Representatives would have demanded that the members of Homeland Security's investigative agencies, namely the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, and all the rest of the 16 agencies, which are headed by the 17th agency, again, that number. Why do they have 17 investigative Because they need it on the numbers. The 17th investigative agency is the Director of National Intelligence Office headed by Radcliffe. He runs the whole show. When the FBI says, I'm not giving you that, does the head of the FBI, as an unelected appointee who is voted into that position, agreed to by Congress, does he have the right to defy the president? And does he have the right to defy Congress? 
And if he doesn't, what are we going to do to get justice here? Congress should have called him over, put him out there for the public to hear, done a behind-the-scenes investigation and in front of the camera investigation and shown what was happening over at the FBI that he thought he had the legal right, obligation to defy an executive order. Uh, Congress didn't do that. That's what still has to happen uh, moving forward. That's where we're going to go. And that's why this, this House with these investigative tools, with McCarthy unable to stop it, with those uh, heads, is moving towards bringing those people in and asking them before the whole electorate, before the whole country, what made you think, you little low-life piece of uh, whatever worm, just because you're the head of the CIA or the head of the FBI, you have the legal right to obstruct justice for America, to decide what is supposed to be heard or seen. You're supposed to just provide the work product for the other people that have the actual decision. If you want to use Biden's quote, uh, excuse me, that was above your pay grade. The FBI guy doesn't have the right to decide whether he wants to give information uh, further up chain of command or not. That's above his pay grade. That's why we elect a president. You're just an appointee. You're just agreed to by Congress. You do not have the legal right to defy an executive order. That is our president. That's the person we elected to do that job. He ordered you to do something and you disobeyed. You were insubordinated, insubordinate. And in a time of war, that's not just a treason offense. It's a hanging offense. So I, I I get going on it. I'm sorry. I, I probably left your question a little ways, but don't confuse the past with the present. We're in a different era. Tides turned. It's going quickly in a different direction. This is a new game. We're winning. They can come after Trump all they want. Remember what Trump said under his breath during the Waco hearing or the Waco uh, rally the other day. Oh, by the way, you might see that they're coming after me. But behind the scenes, they're actually going after Hillary and Adam Schiff. And that's what the real investigation is going on right now. Who's going to get arrested and where are they going? Is it going to be Southern District in New York or is it going to be Gitmo? Brace yourselves. Relax. It won't be this month. It won't be next month. It's a process to get where we got to get to. The law is a process. Okay, we're going to process them. Wow. Well, listen, Juan, I know it's, uh, I know you got to get back to where you're going. Um, listen, I wanted to say, um, you know, Juan's going to be in South Dakota, you know, at the Mount Rushmore event. event. So we tell you guys to try to, you know, come if you can. It's on my website, marycrelly.com. Get your tickets. We do have a youth night on Friday night. It's going to be free. And uh, Juan, I'm sure you'll have some of those matador jackets with you, right? Yeah, actually, the flags. If you if if you guys go look at thejennifermack.com, she just put flags on the site. 
they're super high quality and all that. We're going to try and get some at, at lower price points, but it's a process getting manufacturers to actually make decent quality products. And uh, so we've got some beautiful flags in there, uh, the Megador. And that picture is called the charge. Yeah, there's there's other art in there that Jen did based on the presentations I did as Trump as the Megador uh, taking out the deep state bull. Uh, when you get into the intricacies of the art, it's just it's, it's a fantastic piece. But the flags now, you know, sometimes people don't want to wear a jacket. They want to say it's something different. You go to the Trump rally and all that. I think those flags are going to be absolutely amazing and uh, we have some in the pipeline coming in now and and so those are available in the pre-sale and i think uh, you know getting ready for the fourth of july i think of all the imagery that we will remember down the road about this moment in history i actually think that that is the imagery that will most fit this moment that will remember trump is the megador taking on the deep state and uh uh you know, Trump has said there at the Waco rally, it's them or us, them or us. Uh, this is a fight to the death. We're either going to kill the deep state or they're going to kill us on the way. And uh, there's no middle ground. Uh, this is a fight for the soul of America. Trump is the megador. Uh, God bless and protect Donald J. Trump. Amen. Praise yeah, God. So JenniferMack.com. Uh, you can go and get those flags or jackets. You got to put the the on there because it doesn't go through otherwise. So the Jennifer Mack. Yeah, go ahead. And the okay. link is on the wall, guys. If you guys want to click on that link or save it to your Telegram save messages, yeah. the link is right on the bottom of the wall as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, Juan. Hey, let me let me let me just say a prayer with all of your audience before I let them go. You know, I know a lot of people are hand wringing. We have such a beautiful audience here. Uh, I'll look forward to answering some more questions. Look, uh, I I enjoy that, and it is, uh, it is something I don't get to do very often, but I do enjoy it the few times we get there. Let me just say a quick prayer, though. Father God in heaven, I thank you for each person here right now. I thank you for putting it on their heart to consider these matters about the Republic, the nation in which we live and its effect on their life and the people around them. Uh, we care to live in a place where we have the ability to worship you freely, to uh, not be under the boot of the King or do it according to the King's way or rules, etc. And we know that much of that has been encroached upon we're very aware of that. We're sensitive to it uh, in the way that the church is administered and run, uh, even at the nation state level. We ask you to intercede on our behalf. We give you authority to act on our behalf in this world that you've given us. Uh, according to your will, we ask for divine assistance, divine guidance, divine protection as we proceed forward to retake this land which you brought the pilgrims to, which you commissioned them to build out, which they sought to fill according to your will, a place to worship you uh, freely as they heard and saw in their hearts according to your word. We ask that you would assist us in 
regaining control of the ship of state, this land that so many have yearned for and found themselves in, we pray that you would give us uh, clear minds to regain dominance over every demon, every devil, every black hat, every servant of enmity and iniquity that have found a place, a residence here in our land, and that you would assist us by your will, by the blood of Christ, to crush every dark force, every principality, and to cast out that darkness from America, that your light would shine brightly here from America. First of all, to get our own land under control and on a path towards life, and second of all, to assist our brothers and sisters around the world to do likewise. Help us to get our house in order, our ship of state in order. Restore Donald Trump to his rightful place, first as commander-in-chief and again as president. And help us to restore order and correctness and health and righteousness to America. And then to bring it also to the world. Your will be done, Father God. Bless every person in this audience. Give them clarity of mind, direction, their next moves individually, provision for the journey, and grace where needed to work through all of the issues that must be worked through so that they can be uh, leaders in their own families, their own households, their businesses, and our government. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. 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 And Mary, I want to thank you so much for putting this together. And I want to thank Juan for coming on and sharing the information and knowledge with us. I definitely would love to bring you back for a Q&A. And you can get my phone number for Mary. We can exchange contacts. And uh, we appreciate everything that you provide. And we follow you very closely. Thank you, Juan. Love you all. Appreciate it. Yeah, Talk thanks. to you again soon. Yeah, God bless. God bless. Okay. Anyway, so 